Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the New Books in Israel Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Akin Ajay, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Professor Moshe Shoked, Emeritus Professor of Anthropology at Tel Aviv University, about his new book, Can Academics Change the World? An Israeli Anthropologist's Testimony on the Rise and Fall of a Protest Movement on Campus. Professor Shoked, is a distinguished academic and researcher. He's written a number of books, including books on the gay community in New York and on Israeli experts to the United States. Um, This new book, however, is a bit of a departure, and I think it's fair to say is a much more personal account of his journey as a member of ADKAN, a protest movement of Israeli academics at Tel Aviv University fighting against the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territories. It was founded during the first Palestinian Intifada of 1987-1993. Reading from the blurb of the book, it says that, however, since the assassination of Prime Minister Rabin and the subsequent obliteration of the Oslo Accords, public manifestations of dissent on Israeli campuses have been remarkably mute. This chronicle of Adkan is explored in view of the ongoing theoretical discourse on the role of intellectual in society and is compared with other accounts of academics' involvement in different countries during periods of acute political conflict. Professor Shokade, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I'd like to start by asking if you could perhaps say a little bit about what prompted you to write this book. A few years ago, um, just as I finished my last fieldwork project in New York, and looking back at my Israeli society, I was reminded of the one unusual period in my life, a moment that suddenly I wasn't the the regular anthropologist studying other people, <clears throat> but participated in some most ex- not exciting but partly tragic uh, situation in my society. <clears throat> it was the time of the first Palestinians Intifada, <clears throat> and somehow I had a feeling I had to. I had to. I have to write about it. It is an era and in a situation that is not less interesting and important than my regular anthropological ethnographic project, telling the world or my 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 colleagues about various fields of other people. A behavior. Then I wrote an article in Hebrew about the story of that of that time, and to my surprise, I couldn't publish it. Probably it was unpleasant to the editors that I that assume that I am <clears throat> I am judging Israeli academics. And then I thought, okay, I write a book. And this is what I did, and this is, and this is what we are going to talk about about the, the that era, that not that as a member of a group of colleagues on campus, <clears throat> that we had no special relationships until then, and we were all active in our professions. <clears throat> Suddenly. We we recruited ourselves 
to talk to Israeli society and in a way to the Palestinians as well after 20 years of occupation. So am I going to tell you now the story to go? Thank you very much. Yes, please. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about how exactly Adkan came about in 1987. I'm, I'm amazed to tell that it started with a, le- with a short letter that a few days after the start of the first intifada, the Palestinians uprising, <clears throat> I don't know why, I wrote a short letter to the Israeli news, liberal newspaper Aretz. And the title was, The Time is Ripe for Social Disobedience in Zion. And that short letter, actually, I expressed my, my f- feelings of horror that probably we are not so dissimilar this minute from academics in some societies that we don't mention their names. For, and I, I always in on mind, the, and I can say it clearly, and I said it, the German situation when each German academia didn't care about what is going on. And I thought, I'm, we, I'm not part of it. <clears throat> and to my amazement, not amazement, uh, many uh, colleagues called me immediately. And I realized I can't go back home and forget it, just having expressed my nightmares. And so it started that we, together with a very close colleague, that he himself came from South Africa. And uh, he, he outlived the story of the apartheid in, in South Africa. And we decided to invite interesting colleagues to come and discuss the situation. So we advertised in handwritten notes in a few faculties, uh, calling for a meeting at the, at the Faculty of Social Sciences. And no surprise, about 30, pe- 30 people came along. And then we realized we are going to do something about it. <clears throat> and that core group organized the first public conference on campus. And again, about it, it was about 250 people arrived, uh, lecturers and students. So this was the opening. And this was the first meeting in which colleagues from various professions, including two Arab colleagues from other universities, <coughs> came. And people seemed to be <coughs> interested and in wishing to go on with these activities. The second conference, which was about one month later, this became actually the Rue de Passage, uh, in which we invited Palestinians from the occupied territories, uh, such as a lawyer, uh, a physician, uh, uh, an author, etc., to come and tell us about the situation in their communities. A few hours later, I was, we were informed it was also almost midnight that the lawyer who came from Gaza was uh, not arrested, but in, uh, was, ta- was taken to, uh, for questioning and staying on. We decided we must, we must do something about it. So the next day, we were ready with posters at the front of the, uh, the home of the uh, Mr. Rabin, who was at the time the Minister of Defense, and we protested, and also uh, journalists arrived, 
And when a few short time later, the lawyer, uh, Mr. Abu Shaban, was released, we felt we have done something, proved that we are not going to, to shut down. And I call it the Rile Passage, because this was the moment in which Atkan became an, an organization that was going to act for a few years uh, until the Oslo, uh, uh, the, the, the Oslo agreement. That's really interesting. The colleague you mentioned who joined you in Setnobat Khan was Leon Shelef, who himself was a distinguished sociologist before his untimely passing. Um, I wanted to ask, did you have in mind any explicit objectives at this point in time, what you hoped as a collective of academics you could bring to a table and contribute to the conversation about Israel's occupation of the territories? Our major uh, intention and wish is to, to legitimize the PLO as, as partners peace agreement. It was not allowed at the time to speak for the PLO, to meet with the with PLO even outside the country. Uh, for example, A.B. Nathan, a well-known personality, was taken to, to was, was prison, uh, 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 was taken to prison because, because he met with Mr. Arafat and we wanted to legitimize Mr. Arafat. So, and this was in a way a, a new call uh, in the country that coming from uh, this, many of our friends, uh, colleagues were quite distinguished uh, academics and they were calling it in full volume in demonstrations, in letters, in signing uh, signing letters, in in approaching also uh, politicians, so in a way, this was our major ambition to 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 let Arafat be our partner and not be shameful or or scared of uh, calling his name and meeting. Uh, with him and his colleagues. Um, I think it's fair to say that academics um, inhabit an important place in society because they have a time and they have expertise to actually explore the underpinnings of society, why we do what we do. Um, and it strikes me that at this point in time that you're speaking of, Outside academia, there may have been much less awareness or much less knowledge of the extent and the impact of the occupation. I wonder if you could paint a general picture of what general life outside academia in the country was in circa 1987 and how Adkan might have been in a position to actually educate or inform the population about um, the social political context of the moment. Uh, we have to realize that during the 20 years of occupation, the feeling was in the, among many people, that the Palestinians didn't suffer. Actually, the economic situation to an extent improved. I can tell you that even in my case, I remember we refurbished our home and a few Palestinian, the Israeli uh, guy who organized that, uh, the job recruited Palestinians from Gaza. They came every morning. They stayed for the day. We had some conversations with them. And it seemed that they were not complaining at about the general situation. So I think that there was a sort of a, an idea. This is a benign occupation. It's good for both sides. Palestinians have a lot of 
jobs and work in Israel. And we had very little idea what is going on. In a way, people visited the Palestinian cities. I myself, with the people that I studied earlier in a village in the, in the Negev, in the south, we visited the market in Gaza with them. And so I think the, nobody, the, the guy, the ordinary guy in Israel had no idea what is, what are the, what is the undercount of feelings once the economic situation apparently improved. Then people look for other things to improve. And of course, the, actually, Palestinians visiting Israel, they have seen the difference of, of lifestyle, political, this political situation. So I think there was a sort of ignorance at the time. It's, it wasn't that Israelis were bad. It was that the feeling was that there is no... Uh, way to, comp- to to change the situation. After all, who, studied, who, who started the 1967 war? It wasn't Israel that started the war. So in a way, I think that the 1967 war was, was a tragedy. I wish it hadn't happened. Could you tell me a little bit about the reception here on campus? at Tel Aviv University, to this initiative. Um, I ask this question in the context of the supposition that there wasn't necessarily wholehearted or complete support of an initiative on campus to try to educate the broader population about the iniquities of the occupation. There was no support, but we were tolerated. The university leadership wasn't too happy about that type of development because, after all, Israeli universities are basically supported by the state. Tel Aviv University couldn't survive without the support. But they respected, luckily, uh, our group was uh, uh, distinguished enough, enough academically, so we were treated quietly. We were allowed uh, to, uh, to use the uh, university, the campus uh, halls uh, for the conferences. Uh, we were allowed to use to have our demonstration at the at the main square on campus, but there was no open support. Actually, the majority of the faculty were not they, they were not against that they were not supportive, and I have the story of the Senate meeting, the University Senate meeting, in which. <coughs> Uh, our members of the Senate uh, have raised a, a request that the Senate and the university publish a call for, to the government to open the academics, uh, academic organ- uh, colleges in, uh, in the West Bank. <coughs> Uh, but unfortunately, we tried twice, and we lost. And we lost by because our colleagues didn't support us. Uh, at the first time, they refused to have the issue raised at the Senate meeting. And the next time, we lost. We we got enough uh, votes to vote raising the issue for discussion, but eventually we lost it. Uh, and this was very painful for us. Of course, um, I think academic solidarity is a very important issue, particularly academic solidarity between Israeli academics and their colleagues and, com- and colleagues in 
the West Bank. And perhaps we'll touch on that later on. Um, I'm very interested, though, in something more specific and local at this point in time, which you talk about in the book, which is the greater participation from certain parts of the academic community here and less from others. So I think we talk about greater involvement by academics in the humanities and the social sciences, and perhaps less from the exact sciences. I wondered if you had any particular insights into why this might have been the case. This was really amazing because the majority came from the social supporters from the social sciences, from the humanities, so the law school, business administration, and education, and mathematics. They were an important part of the of our organization. But from the biological, natural, physical. A part of campus, we had only one important uh, active member, member, which was really, in a way, so clear. We, I used to call it that our members come from from the the the, the west bank of campus and not from the eastern part of campus. <clears throat> now, usually, also, it it's, it is not. In something un- unusual, according to the literature, because also those who wrote about the uh, uh, acad- academics and intellectuals in the, the in the so- in the social sciences and other sciences, like known known people, like uh, uh, I, I wouldn't name them now, uh, they claim that the, probably the difference is that those who come from the, the human. <clears throat> Uh, subjects are more related uh, to to social issues, to uh, human relationships. While those who come from the <clears throat> from the other side, they are more they are less involved in 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 the human side of uh, feelings, relationships, etc. Et, et, et <clears throat> and from that point of view, the Israeli, the Israeli case of At Khan is up, is a is a very clear uh, example of uh, those uh, of those writings about the academics uh, role in society. We shouldn't forget there were of course uh, Tel Aviv University at Cannes was unique in the Israeli uh, environment. We had also some uh, uh, members who came from the from the Open University who joined us at the time, uh, supporters uh, openly. But uh, uh, this was in a way. Uh, unusual because there were individuals, even intellectuals and academics, have an important role in society. We all know I shouldn't name them, but uh, but they were not part of a of a group of an, uh, of a of, of a collective. We had some even in Israel some very well known people. Enough to mention uh, the philosopher and biologist uh, Professor Yishayahu uh, Leibovich, who was almost a prophet to this day, and we also invited him uh, to our conferences. Uh, and he was a very powerful, uh, powerful academic, not so much as an academic, as more as a as a philosopher, as a philosopher, as a political prophet. Indeed, um, Professor Labovitz in particular is renowned as I think what we could describe as a moral philosopher, and certainly had a very very powerful voice in the public sphere. Which brings me to a question that may not necessarily seem obvious to people out of academia, but nevertheless is important, which is to say, what risk was entailed by entering, putting your voice in the public sphere in what was a contentious issue 
were there any fears at the time that um, speaking out against the occupation might harm your professional career? I think we were not scared. We were so, uh, I'm, in a way, I'm amazed. Probably this was also better times. I don't know what would have happened today. These are different days. But somehow, we enjoyed a sort of general respect. And we, we were not, we, we, personally, I never thought that something might happened to me. There were, of course, groups who came and uh, protested against us. They called us uh, Arafat uh, uh, guys. <laughs> but they, we, didn't, we didn't consider them as a, as a, as a, as, as a personal risk. <clears throat> also on campus, uh, people who, who, who didn't support us, but they didn't a fight against us. Uh, there was only, although there were some powerful men, <clears throat> uh, like uh, uh, the one, the guy who used to be a university rector, and then Yuval uh, Neyman, uh, suddenly my, his, I lost his name. Yuval uh, Neyman was a Knesset member. He was a, a, a party leader of the Triar, and he, he, he was the, the right of the right of the right, but he didn't touch, we were not affected by him, and we didn't care. We even, uh, once he behaved uh, uh, unbelievably when the, the Israel Prize was given to uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the Arab uh, author, his name suddenly, Habibi, Habibi. Uh, we, he, 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 I'm not repeating the way that he behaved during the, the, during the ceremony, but we decided to, to have a conference uh, for uh, Habibi uh, to respect him on campus. So at that time, I don't, the thing is, I don't know what would have happened today when right-wingers are far more uh, dangerous in my eyes and it's enough to see what is happening at the West Bank and uh, to think what might have happened uh, today. What might have, at that time, at least, I can... I can tell the story of the uh, during the meeting at uh, the Senate meeting, uh, a, a very well-known law professor. Uh, he he told the, the the audience, "Look, if you interfere in political issues, then the government might uh, uh, take part and against us." on academic issues. And this, at that time, people took it seriously. And probably he was right. Thank you very much. Just a reminder that we're talking today about the book, Can Academics Change the World? An Israeli anthropologist's testimony on the rise and fall of a protest movement on campus by Professor Moshe Shukade. Emeritus Professor of Sociology, Anthropology, I beg your pardon, at Tel Aviv University. Um, I want us to take a slightly broader look at the role of academics and academia in contributing to general society, and specifically the Israeli case. There isn't, I think it's fair to say, at least at this point in time we're talking about the late 1980s, a concerted place, a concerted role for academics in political discourse. A decade earlier, there had been a political party, Dash, who you talk about in your book, that was a collection of intellectual elites and academics. But broadly speaking, could you give us a bit of a sense about how involved the Israeli academic was in the political scene in Israel in the late 1980s, at the time when Atkan started? I think the history of the academics in Israel is uh, quite 
quite good in, as one can say. We shouldn't forget that Ben-Gurion uh, had his, some of his close friends, or we believe that they are close friends, were, uh, were well-known academics. And there is the history of uh, the Jewish, uh, li- Jewish life, Jewish history, that, li- that uh, the literati are important. They have, uh, but they were considered uh, they had a, an important part in in, in during life society, Israeli society, but they were not often politically engaged. <clears throat> so, from that point of view, I don't think that uh, something had radically uh, radically changed. The only thing is that if I try to think. Uh, what happened since then. And I think that some things have happened, although the general university and colleges uh, environment expanded tremendously, uh, yet it was uh, modeled to the professional life. You have to be good at your task. Uh, Israeli uh, academics uh, apparently are situated far away from the centers of science, yet they have to prove themselves. From that point of view, I think that uh, Israeli academics uh, should be acknowledged for their uh, for the the unusual contribution and position in world science. As we, we usually see it now, uh, when it comes to the uh, the, the, to the high tech uh, uh, businesses, but we are unaware about their contribution in in different uh, subject of science, which they do ext- they or at least they used to do extremely well. Uh, it's enough to see how many Israeli students have jobs. In American and European universities, when, whenever you, you you see them, even on television, that they are being uh, uh, interviewed from other, from various universities and from very, and from some good universities, I remember a colleague from the department of the econo- economics here told me that at the department of economics and business in in northwestern. People in uh, in the corridors they speak Hebrew. How did they come to that? They they came they were they were educated in Israel, which means that we we at least we used to have some good some good universities. <laughs> On the others, uh, yet I am a bit worried that some of the of our best students disappear, and we we offer to the world a, a free tax. Some many many good people. Thank you very much. Um, something that reading the book, I enjoyed the book very much because it wasn't just simply a narrative of an event, so a particular point in time, but it was also a very very nuanced and very very personal account of your involvement in what was a grassroots movement that over time developed into having, I think it's fair to say, a significant voice for a while in political discourse in Israel. And I'm particularly interested in your approach, both as a member of ATCAN and in detailing its history now as an anthropologist. I wondered if you could say something about what the anthropologist's eye can bring to understanding society, specifically Israeli society. As I think I mentioned earlier, uh, this was the first time that I took a major part in my in, in the ethnography. So usually when we talk about ethnography, we talk about telling about other people that we have observed them. In this case, I moved out of the of the anthropologist role by being my own inform my own major informant. Uh, 
Uh, two, I relied uh, very much on my uh, on, on on the records that I that I have in my in my office of all the posters and all the doc, other documents, and I interviewed uh, for the preparing the book. A, a good number of uh, Atkan uh, colleagues, but no doubt, I am, I, for better or worse, I am the, ma the, the major informant. And probably in, when I started my career, uh, it would have been bizarre uh, to write a book in which you are a, 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 a major I wouldn't call it the hero, but the, 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 the major inf uh, informant and, and, and recorder. But I think that this is, this, these days anthropology has changed and we, we call it the era of reflexivity in which anthropologists are being allowed and not more allowed, but even expected to a uh, to document and to show their own feelings and and part in 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 the research, so people can also find out and judge: do they is it a good job, or probably we can uh, claim something against against it. But I took the liberty, and I thought at that stage of life, <clears throat> I can, I I I can afford it. People would take it or not, but I had my say. Thank you very much. Um, in terms of the immediate objectives of ADCAN, you were looking at introducing the Palestinian voice into a broader discourse about what happens to Palestinian citizens and the occupied territories. Take that into account, do you feel that um, you, as an organization, succeeded in these objectives? And at what point did you feel that it was time to call a halt on your activities as a pressure group? I think that actually we didn't... We didn't foresee what is going to happen. We believed at the time that we were absolutely successful. It was wonderful. Uh, I remember attending the, the, the event when Mr. Rabin was ass assassinated. It was a wonderful evening at what was called now Rabin Square. The Oslo agreements actually realized our dreams in our whatever we 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 have done. We and, and when we decided to shut the shut the don't shut the business, we thought there is no need. We have done our job, and now we go back to our regular uh, occupation. Uh, so it took another quite a number of years to realize that it doesn't work and at that time we were not very young at the time we were not very young anymore and we we didn't come back to reorganize is including, for example, my close uh, colleague Leon, Leon Shalev passed away uh, early. Uh, so personally, I lost my uh, major partner and I was going to retire soon. So there wasn't summer and all the atmosphere has, has changed. This was we can we can sit and analyze the changes they've taken within 20 years actually what is Israel is amazing society in which things are changing so quickly since then for example imagine the immigration from the Soviet the Soviet Union which 
made an image, a, 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 a great change in Israeli society, for ex- only that, for example, and other developments that happened so quickly. Imagine what happened to the kibbutz. That suddenly its role in society disappeared completely. Completely, so things have uh, have changed so quickly that I, I'm. It would have been a completely different situation to start and look at what is happening. Only things at the, at the settlements during uh, the the at Khan. Uh, era, there were how many uh, settlers? I suppose no more than 50,000 or something like that. And imagine today, this is half a million. <clears throat> so it's, the, the land has changed. And look what happened with the Palestinians. We talk all the time only about the Israelis, but we shouldn't forget what has happened uh, among the Palestinians. The, the rise of Hamas for example, only that. Imagine what happened in in Gaza. <clears throat> uh, so we are we have also partners to the to, to the game, and th- things have changed immensely also among the Palestinians. So these are uh, these are not the day of Arafat. These are completely different days, and this is we can't look at the at that situation only from the Israeli from the Israeli side. Of course, the context that we're thinking about here is, first of all, mutual recognition of the Palestinian Liberation Organization and of the State of Israel, um, the famous handshake of the White House lawn, the Oslo Accords, which granted the Palestinian Authority limited and contingent autonomy over parts of Palestine as part of what at the time was hoped would be some sort of final two-state settlement agreement. But we're here in 2022, and we seem a lot further away from that than we have been in the mid-90s at the time that Adkan came to its natural end. I suppose I'm interested in thinking about, and it's something that's touched upon in detail, not just in the title of the book, but in the text as well, which is the continuing role of academics in introducing a diversity of voices, a diversity of opinions, and broadening our knowledge about matters that impact upon all of us. What are your thoughts about the role of, of a place, of the activity of academics in political discourse in Israel today? I must confess that I am not sure about I am now in a different stage of life. <clears throat> Still, I believe that had I been young, I would have start. I would have started Atkan again, uh, because I think that we we don't realize the extent of academics' uh, impact on society. Uh, probably, I am. I am a dreamer, but I think that academics could be a stronger part in the ongoing political life. At least we could see the fight, if there is a fight. Uh, academics are not, uh, are not leftist uh, by, by ideology as if by religion. Academics have the, they know the facts. They could talk to, uh, to power, not about feelings necessarily, not about uh, ideology, but, but about the real situation uh, on the ground. Where is it going to lead us, these developments? Because we, uh, 
it's it, it's not enough to build settlements. You have to think about what is going to be the other things around them. The, what is going to happen with the Palestinians around them? Of course, everybody knows this it is it's it's political, but it's not only political. It's only it's also about the the real life situation of Israelis uh, uh, within the old borders and outside the, the, the old borders. And I think that academics, as a group of organized groups, uh, uh, talking truth to power, they could have a, a, a much more important role than today that they are hardly known around. Oh, they are professors, okay. They are good. They are good scientists. They are good uh, um, uh, writers. They invent. Only recently we have decided. The, the, discuss, we are being told about a wonderful <coughs> invention at Tel Aviv University uh, in 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 the health situation. But who? But. As much as they are going to affect real life, they are not going to affect political life. Um, I am conscious of the fact that academics operate in a world of nuance and of subtlety. And the world we live in today is increasingly polarized. And I'm also aware of the fact that academics may face pressures, professional pressures, that perhaps were not the case 30 years ago. Um, I wonder if you had any thoughts about the overarching objectives and the operation of the Boycott, Diversify and Sanctions campaign as it applies to Israeli academia and whether this, on the one hand, pushes academics, Israeli academics, into a position where they may be afraid of compromising their own positions, or conversely, whether it could be broadened to create a space where academics, broadly speaking, can express solidarity for one another in working together towards a collective goal, which... The, the BDS is problematic... And because there is a lot of of uh, bluff about it, not because the Israelis are good, but because the BDS is targeting Israel, while at the same time they don't target Chinese academia, uh, they don't target uh, uh, American academia. We don't forget. The, the 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 little role, if at all, they had at the academics, uh, the Iraqi invasion, or uh, what is happening in China, uh, some unbelievable events, including uh, uh, whatever. I, I don't have to to tell the stories. So the BDS, from that point of view, is ineffective because it is. It's, it is not presented itself and is not seen as being neutral, which, of course, we all talk about neutrality, object, being objective. But how, how can you uh, attack the, Israel, Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian situation and forget what is happening, for example, in China? Which is uh, we all we all know the and, 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 and the, the country um, anyhow uh, I, I I lost the name <clears throat> anyhow so this is why eventually the BDS is not going to be effective as it happened in 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 South Africa at the time. And, and eventually, because universities are not that important as it as as we see it, as as we see it in 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 real in in real time, so academics, Israeli academics, don't they are not terribly affected. I I was at, uh, accused a few times as a person, although apparently, uh, BDS is is uh, uh, attacking 
universities, organizing not individuals. But, you know, I survived. And uh, for the time being, I think that we are in a good, in, in a good company of bad, of, of, of bad countries. Of that still, it doesn't mean that I accept the Israeli situation as it is. I'm absolutely, uh, I'm horrified about the, this uh, intractable uh, conflict. It must come to an end, or God knows how it will end one day. Uh, when I will, but I will not see it. I think one thing is clear: is that um, however it does end, it must come about with the contribution of people who are well placed to give us a clearer and more textured understanding of the facts of matter. And in that context, I think that your book provides rather privileged and rather fascinating snapshots of an opportunity that academics in Israel did take to try to effect a difference to a matter that is of concern to everyone in the country. Um, Professor Shokade, you've been very, very generous with your time. I'd like to thank you for talking with us. Um, before we round up, I'd just like to ask if you could say anything about anything that you're working on, anything of interest that you might want to share with us about your work at the moment. Writing is my major ability. And as I say, I can't open the day without having something to write about. So actually, I am finishing now and is being already edited a book about the, my uh, ethnographic experiences in various fields uh, in working in Israel and the United States is a sort of a showing pictures uh, not in the real sense of a chapters about different uh, sites and societies and organizations I studied. And again, from that point of view, more uh, in a more refle re reflexive uh, manner, uh, which I believe is going to be more readable. And uh, I, I closed that book with the chapters about the people who have uh, influenced my career as uh, teachers, colleagues, informants, uh, and friends. So in a way, I, I feel probably it may be the last book, but uh, as I say, I can't start another day without having to to write something about or complain or write a letter to the newspaper. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you very much, Professor Shurkade. Um So we've been talking today about can acad academics change the world? An Israeli anthropologist's testimony on the rise and fall of the protest movement on campus by Professor Moshe Shurkade, Emeritus Professor of Anthropology at Tel Aviv University. The book is published by Berghan in collaboration with the European Association of Social Anthropologists, and I do recommend it's a fascinating and interesting read with a particular resonance for the conversation about the involvement of academics in wider discourse in the present time. Professor Shokade, thank you very much. Mm -hmm.